Hello and welcome back once again to ND Ice, the podcast that covers college, junior, and high school hockey in the state of North Dakota. I am your host, David Drinko, once again, and along with Lincoln Retzloff for the first time as my co-host here. In this episode, we'll be talking about UND's first half of the season, as, as well as the World Junior Hockey Championship preview and other news in the North Dakota hockey realm, as well as an exclusive interview with former UND hockey captain and current Bismarck Legacy head coach, Mario Lamaru. All right, we'll go into the news here. Um, as of earlier this week, the NHL is no longer letting players go to the Olympics. Um, for me, I see this as more of a business business thing. I mean, they're, the NHL is a business, and they're there to make money, the GMs and everything. Um if the biggest reason is obvious, it's obviously COVID. Uh, COVID still being an issue with all the new variants and everything like that. Uh, it's a huge process to get to travel internationally, especially to a place like China, where the virus came from. But also, you got to test to get there, and you got to make sure your players are healthy all the way through for that three-week period of the Olympics itself. And then you have to test to leave. And if you let your players go, you're taking that risk of you know, if your superstars, all the players that are going are going to be superstars, and if your superstars get sick, you know, they get, they risk the chance of getting everyone else sick, and then you have to quarantine for five weeks in China, which altogether that's like a nine-week process at least. Or I'd say eight, eight, week, eight to nine-week process at least, if that is including if you get sick and you have to quarantine. That's a long time. That's a lot of money you're missing out. That's almost – three months, which is the entire rest of the season and not including playoffs, but you are superstars are what bring brings in the fans and the revenue for these NHL teams. And if you're losing your superstars for that long, it's definitely a huge risk. Um, so I can definitely see why they're not letting them go. Yeah. You know, as a fan, it's definitely really disappointing and uh, I definitely – I get it, though. Like, from a business perspective, like you said, it just makes sense. They can't afford to lose that money. And a lot of these teams are, you know, trying to make playoff runs. And when you lose your top player, that can kind of screw you over. And, I mean, if it were a regular year, I'm sure they'd still be hesitant about it. But, like, with COVID now, I think that was kind of just the icing on the cake and the main reason why they don't want to send them. Like you said, just the five weeks quarantine, just all the risk that comes with it, it's just not worth it. And mm -hmm. – uh, yeah, as a, as a fan, it's disappointing. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're a business, and they got to do what they got to do to run it. Yeah, and, you know, you think about what they're going to be doing now for the players if you have to wait a whole other four years. And as a fan, you're waiting. That's 12 years since the last time we saw NHL mm -hmm. players in the Olympics. It was 2014, eight years ago um, from now jump forward to four years from now, is COVID still around? You know, we don't really know what will be happening. I definitely thought COVID was going to be done right. by now, and it's not. So whether we learn to live with it or not is is a question. But just how long it's been, if, if we'll go another four years after that, it's just whether what, what the situation will be is just so unknown and everything. But even more an unknown thing is who's going to go now is I bring up the idea of college kids, which I'll go ahead and say Sanderson, Jake Sanderson, obviously the captain of the world juniors right now is on some of the thought of rosters. They're not just rumored rosters and stuff like that. 
for college kids. They're not Jake, Jake going. And I think from that standpoint, I do not want Jake Sanderson going. If I'm a UND fan, I do not want Jake going anywhere near the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that as a rude thing or because I don't like him or want to have that opportunity. But if he goes, he's leaving the team for the rest of the season. He's done. Like that's it. That's he's right. He's closing the book, UND chapter, and moving on. He won't be back you're, again. You're risking that five week period. That five week period. When he gets back, it's going to be almost. It's going to be done with February, going into March. That that's the crunch time is March. Um, that's your last solid month. And if he's gone and gets sick, that's he's done for UND. And from a UND standpoint, obviously he's our best player, probably the best player in NCAA this year. Um, so that's just a scary thing to think about from a UND standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, there I don't know what the whole situation with the AHL is, if they're letting people go or not, but um, Jordan Schmaltz is on some of the rosters I was seeing too, former UND player back in 20, 20, the mid-2010s. Yeah. Um, and he plays in the Finnish Liga right now, so it'll be interesting to see if, if he makes the team or not. Um, but we'll go ahead and move on from that. All right, I'll move into the preview for the World Junior Hockey Championship. Um, as of today, the recording is December 23rd, 2021. USA played their first and only pre-tournament game against Finland today, um, which I had the pleasure or you could say the displeasure of watching. Um, Finland came out hard, scored in the first four minutes, and then USA came back and controlled the whole game until the last three minutes. When Miami of Ohio, Miami of Ohio's player Red Savage took a elbowing match penalty, um, which means he'll be out that rest of the game and then possibly the next game since it was close to the end of the game. With only three three minutes left, um, which put Finland on a five-minute power play, a major. So if they score, there's would they stay on the power play? They ended up scoring two goals to tie it up, and two goals in 90 seconds, about a minute into that power play, and then scoring it, uh, the OT winner on the power play as well. So three goals in that five-minute power play. Um, the Red Savage one, um, which again leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Uh, it was a disappointing loss for the United States as they had just controlled the whole game, and then just to lose it like that uh, is pretty disappointing. Um, but I'd rather I'd rather them experience that now than later uh, when it actually matters. Um, but Finland's a good team, so I was surprised with how well they battled up until that point. Um, the shots were when they came out with Finland was eight to one Finland. And after that, up until that three minute mark, the shots were like 33 to 13 in the favor of the United States. So they outshot and outplayed Finland the rest of the game. Um, But we'll go into the rest of the, um, the schedule here for the United States. Uh, This is all on NHL network or TSN, depending on where you're watching from. Um, but on Sunday, December 26th, the day after Christmas, the United States will be taking on Slovakia in their first preliminary round game at 8.30 Central, 9.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. On Tuesday, they'll play on the 28th against Switzerland, 4.30 Eastern Time, 3.30 Central Time. And then they'll go into Sweden on December 29th, the day after that Switzerland game, and they'll play at 8.30 Central time, 9.30 Eastern time. And then they'll finish off the group play with the game on next Friday, New Year's Eve, um, against Russia. 
um, at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Depending on how that goes, um, which hopefully it goes well, the quarterfinals start on Sunday, January 2nd. And then obviously we don't know who USA will play. And if they win that game, they'll go on and play on Tuesday, January 4th. On one of those games, um, those will range from 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then the gold medal game and bronze medal games are on January 5th if they make it there as well, uh, which they will if they make it to the semifinals, um, which start at 4.30 and 8.30 p- or 8, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for their respective games. Um, for those of you who don't know, Tyler Clevin and Jake Sanderson, current UND players, made the U.S. roster as they were on it last year when they won the gold medal. Jake Sanderson was named the captain, which I thought was expected. Um, going into that, I kind of knew that was going to happen only because of his captaining history with U.S. Um, for those of you who don't know, he coached – or he didn't coach, sorry. He captained uh, the U-17 national team and the U-18 national team for the U.S. NTDP, um, the U.S. national program. So I was kind of expecting him to be a captain. He's got the good leadership and the good skills to be a captain on the ice and off the ice. So I was kind of expecting him to get that role because there wasn't really anyone else who's really sat out to be that captain besides maybe Maddie Berniers, who ended up getting the assistant captain spot, which isn't bad either. Um, and then former UND commit uh, Scott Morrow, who decommitted over uh, right before the summer in the springtime, and committed to UMass is also on the team. So um, kind of, you know, a little bit of a sour taste just because Scott Morrow decommitted, but mm-hmm. it's good to see some of that as well. All right, with that, we'll move on to the recap of the UND hockey season, the first half up until the holiday break. Um, the last episode, I was we talked about UND versus Bemidji State in that first exhibition game where they won 2-1. to one. Um but we'll kind of go through the first half each weekend and talk about, you know, what the final was. Um, first week uh, after that was uh, October 8th, 9th, 8th and 9th. We played Niagara. We swept them. I was, that's, that weekend I was pretty impressed with Ashton Calder. He had a lot of points that weekend. Um, and I thought we played pretty well. Um, going into the next weekend, October 15th and 16th, that was the Moochie State weekend. We flip-flop, obviously, the tradition there. I went. I was at both games. I took a trip down to Bemidji. Got to see him play there. Uh, I like how they battled the adversity through that first that first game of Bemidji. Able to come back um, in in an away setting where there were UND fans, but um, the atmosphere is in Bemidji. So I liked how we battled back and were able to win that game. It was pretty close. And then the next game, played Bemidji State in the Ralph, and we lost in overtime. That was a tough game, but I liked again. How we were able to experience that being down late in the third period and being able to come back. And then for the first time in two years, we had traveled out east the next weekend, October 22nd and 23rd against Quinnipiac. Lost the first night 5-2. to two. Um, Obviously, we battled back um, this uh, on Saturday, able to get that 3-1 to win, which was huge. Um, Quinnipiac's a good team, ranked Ranked eighth right now in the pairwise. Their only loss too. I'm pretty sure. Yep, their only only loss since then. They are. I'm pretty sure have gone on unbeaten streak since then. Um, Quinnipiac's a good team. They battled hard, especially at home. We haven't been out there that many times. 
out east in, in recent years, obviously with COVID and everything. But I thought we played well. Uh, the next weekend, we had the Hall of Fame game in um, Nashville. A uh, hard game, I thought, um, is one, another one of those one of those first instances where we came out on a Friday and it was extremely weak. Um, had there been a second game there, I think we probably would have beat Penn State. Um, it was one of those where we had come out slow yeah. and we're just never able to battle back fully. Um, and Penn State was just one step ahead. We'd get close, they'd score again, we'd get, they'd have a two-goalie. We'd step up again, and then they'd step up. So just a battle back and forth and ended up being in a loss for UND. Um, but the next weekend, we battled Denver on November 5th and 6th, and we'd sweep them at home, which was huge. Denver's a good team, obviously, now. Yeah, uh, they were. It was a great series to watch, a lot of um, a lot of that rivalry showing. Um, but, again, a great series uh, sweep. And then the next weekend, November 12th and 13th at Miami, got the sweep there as well and the away setting, which is good. Um, just take steal a couple of those points. Um, and then we would host Minnesota Duluth the next weekend, November 20th and November 20th and 19th, uh, lost on that Friday again, didn't come out. It came out way quicker. Uh, but we were able to battle back on that Saturday as well. Um, that was right after they had introduced the Nodak jerseys, um, but not formally on the team. They just announced them mm-hmm. and were made available for purchase. Um, the next weekend, Minnesota, the big Thanksgiving weekend, November 26th and 27th. Uh, a big loss to Minnesota at home, 5-1. to one. Um, And then coming back on Saturday, which was huge, those Nodak jerseys giving him a good introduction with a win. I'm able to get that split with Minnesota. Um, and then traveling to the Herbergs National Hockey Center, uh, December 3rd and 4th, with that huge 8-1 to one loss. Um, again, just came out super slow on that Friday night. Uh, Jacob Hellison stepped in for his first collegiate game. Didn't start, but he stepped in. And then they end up scoring a Sports Center top 10 goal on us, which is fantastic when we were already down 6-1. to one. Uh, And then the next night, it would have battled back. 5-3 win there, which was huge, beating a team like St. Cloud, which they were – Sat out to be probably the number one team in the NCHC after this or for the season. Uh, they've played very well. Just a great team and a great place to beat them too. Uh, lucky to get that split out of the Herbergs National Hockey Center. Um, and then the last weekend, December 10th and 11th, uh, playing Colorado, Colorado College in Colorado Springs uh, and sweeping them there, which was pretty big as well for some NCHC points. Yep. Um, as far as that goes, UND had a uh, of probably I'd say one of the toughest schedules in all of college hockey this year, um, which is good to see. It, it isn't really if you lose the game, um, which you will, it doesn't really bring down your pairwise that much if you're losing to good teams. And it also trains your guys to play against good teams and you're not slouching down and you're ready for those big games um, down the road at playoff time. Um, so the first game they'll play back is January 1st against the U.S. under-18 team. Uh, in the Ralph, January 1st, 2022, uh, the first game of the new year first on New Year's Day, uh, same day that the Winter Classic will be happening, all that, blah, blah, blah. Um, but let's first go back and just talk about what we thought were the issues, uh, maybe what they did well, um, who we thought played well, 
and then we'll talk about the next half um, after that. For me, obviously, I think for a lot of people, the question is, is goaltending. Um, we had other issues, but the the biggest one was goaltending. Um, and for me, I I know Zach Driscoll. He's a good guy. Um, but the huge thing with him, it's a mental battle for him. I mean, you you think about it. If you really think about it, you, you got to cut him some slack coming from um, – the probably the most diehard fan base in all of college hockey coming from a school that hardly ever make their last time making the national tournament was like 2010. They made it last year but before that 2010. So not a whole lot of pressure on you playing for a team like Bemidji state. Um, before that he played for St. Cloud for a year, but he, you know, he was a backup, no pressure there. Bemidji state, very little to no pressure. And when you're, playing under zero pressure, you tend to be in the game pretty easily and slip right into it. Um, but again, just stepping up into a program like ours compared to what he's used to is obviously a very intense mental battle for him. Right. Um, and it's just a matter of him settling into the game. Once he settles in, he's a fine goaltender. Mm-hmm. It's just those first 10 minutes where either it gets in his head or – you know, it's a, it's a tough mental battle for him coming out and getting settled into the game. Um, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I think we had a lot of issues with getting scored on in the first, kind of towards the end there, in the first minute of the game. And I think, once again, you know, maybe that some of that's on our players. Maybe you could put that on Driscoll, too. But, again, that's kind of – he's got to get into the right mindset, into the game. You know, like you said, you, you go to North Dakota, you know, this it's not – no offense to Bemidji, but it's not Bemidji. Like, you got mm-hmm. 12,000 fans yeah. watching you every night, judging more, you, yeah. and it's just, like, the tradition, the history. And overall, I think when he's played on his game, he's looked really good. Mm-hmm. And if Driscoll, at the end of the year, is on his game, I think we're going to be we're gonna have no problem beating teams. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely mm-hmm. think that, again, once he's on his game, he's, he's done fine. He's made a lot of great saves. Right. Um, in games, it's it's just settling down. Um, I, I've talked to him. I've I've heard things where, you know, they all. I've I've heard him say, not personally to me, but to my boss, that um, you know they all love me. They all now they all hate me because he just he's so into that all the whole fan stuff, and he knows what everyone says, and he's just put under a lot of pressure. And obviously, for me, if I was a goaltender playing for a team like UND. There's a lot of pressure that comes with that. Right. And obviously, stepping up for a team, you got to accept that pressure if you're willing to play for that team. But, I mean, you got to cut them some slack um, mm-hmm. with that. But we'll go into uh, what we thought we did well across the season. I thought uh, that uh, Jacob Helson's first start, he played pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, even in that game against St. Cloud, when he stepped in, I thought he played well then too. I mean, sure, a lot of goals were let in. But a lot of those goals were just there was nothing he could really do on the play. If you go back and watch, um, he didn't let in any really bad goals, which kind of puts some comfort in the future of UND goaltending because you don't have any big names right now for next year. Um, you know, you got uh, Caleb Johnson, who probably won't play until a little bit down the road, maybe next season, the season after. But, you know, Again, put some comfort. Just Hellison uh, will probably be the starter next year. But just overall, I thought he played well that first start and in that game against St. Clouds. So that kind of put some comfort down there. But also, um, 
I thought offensively we were able to score. I thought, I thought we had we were able to score. Um, fine, I guess. It, it comes down to more the, just the goaltending was the most noticeable noticeable thing, the most noticeable right. bad thing for UND. Um, once we're in the game, we can battle and keep with those teams because we're not a bad team. Um, and I think one thing we've played really well for how new our team is. Yeah. Um, they've definitely molded it together and done a lot of good things um, as a team playing pretty well. I mean, they finished number one in the NCHC uh, through the first half. I don't think anybody saw that coming, um, and especially with a tough schedule that we've been playing. I didn't even see us doing as well as we did mm-hmm. through this first half. I mean, granted, we haven't played Western Michigan yet, Still got two of those. Still got to play Denver again. Still got to play St. Cloud and Duluth again. But and those teams are going to mature. We have to be ready for those teams. But we're going to mature and we're going to be we're going to be growing from those games that we just played as well. Um, so we'll definitely see how that goes down the road. Um, but are there any players to you that stood out? Uh, you know, I really I really liked how Jaminick was kind of playing at the yeah, and especially in that Colorado series. I thought he looked great. Sendin's been stepping up, showing why he's a captain. I think uh, some of our other defensemen, like Cooper Moore, he's played well. And then uh, mm-hmm. I mean, just everybody around the board has been playing pretty pretty good. Costa, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to say his last name, Costantini. Constantini. Constantini. He's mm-hmm. been playing really good. I really like um, yeah what he's done. And I think another. I kind of I've been kind of thinking about this, but uh, our roster we've been like every game you know we've had people that have been injured or out due to sickness. Yeah. And I I don't think for the first half maybe since the start we've had our full roster all together. Like we were missing we were missing Calder and you know Sandin Sanderson. And I think when that team is all together and we got Driscoll playing his A game, we're probably going to be unstoppable. I mean, Mm -hmm. just when everybody's playing their best, I don't. I don't we're gonna see be, us losing, yeah, you know? we're definitely gonna be a team to reckon with down the road, right? If we're all healthy, but again, it's hard to bet on everyone being healthy because all teams battle adversity, and I think battling that adversity is obviously good for our team yeah. to train and learn how to play without those key players like Jake. And I think we played well when Jake wasn't there, mm-hmm. um, and that's something you got to learn how to do because Jake's not the whole team. You can't expect Jake to show up every weekend. You got to have everyone else show up. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that, I think we'll jump into the next half here. Um, after that, we'll play Cornell um, at the Ralph, which we already talked about this. It'll be a pretty key series, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Cornell didn't play last year, so they're going to be jumping off. And and they want to play a team out, here, out west here, same way we want to play a team out east. Um, it's going to bring with it uh, maybe a birth of a little bit of a rivalry. Um, but I think them stepping into the Ralph is going to be a huge thing for them and a huge thing for us. Uh, and it's something that I think is going to be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, on January 14th and 15th, we'll travel the Omaha. Sorry, we'll travel to the Ralph. Um, I probably This will be our first time meeting Omaha this season. Just realized that. Uh, I think we'll probably – I could definitely see a sweep coming here. Yeah. Um, after that tough game here in uh, going to Western Michigan at the Lawson, uh, that's going to be a tough weekend. That's That'll probably going to be our biggest. Weekend. It'll be our biggest weekend of the whole year, I think. So Western Michigan has just become such a powerhouse school of the season, um, ranked sixth pairwise, but higher, I think, in the national rankings, um, the national poll. 
Um, so getting even a split out of that would be lucky. Huge. That would be huge out of there. I don't think we definitely will not get the sweep with the loss of Lunatics. I think we came out with the sweep a couple of years ago. Um, but very rare playing against a good Western Michigan team like they have right now. Um, after that, January 28th and 29th, uh, St. Cloud State will be traveling to the Ralph. I think a series most of us are looking forward to. Um, a birth in recent years uh, with St. Cloud State with the rivalry here. Um, they've been playing for a while, but I think I'm, I'm a kid that's from I, – I grew up in St. Cloud, so it's always a team I look, I look forward to playing. St. Cloud's a good team. And it always makes for a good a good weekend. Um, after that, February fourth and fifth, Colorado College will be traveling up to the Ralph. Um, let's just skip it. We'll, we'll say a sweep. Obviously, I don't think Colorado College is going to be able to do anything here. Um, after that, February eighteenth and nineteenth, uh, Minnesota Duluth will be going to the Amsoil in Duluth, um, which I will be there covering that. So stay tuned for a game day. For both games um that'll be a fun series it'll be a, a tough battle again i'll be happy with the split yeah we're definitely not going to go in there and win both games against a well oiled well playing duluth squad like that um and then february 25th and 26th western michigan will be coming to the ralph for the first time in a while i can't even remember the last time i remember them being at the ralph um i ha i'd have to think back to the the last time i can remember them playing is penrose when they won yeah when they won that was a a close series that was the last time i remember i think that that uh, i think that was the last time that we played them there so the last time they played the ralph obviously they played there last year with the whole um frozen faceoff being there with that tough goal against minnesota duluth that got was it a was it a goal yeah i I think minnesota duluth scored off the faceoff and it went off his hand and they didn't call it back and their coach is upset about that. I thought that should have been called back as well. But March 4th and March 5th, we'll be playing Omaha in Omaha. I We probably could get a sleep out of that. I don't want to say too much as Omaha isn't a bad team no, this year. Um, but I'll be happy with I think a split is fair too. I don't think we'll get I don't think we'll get swept in Omaha. But Omaha is one of those teams again that has been able to come in and beat us at home and beat us away, even when they were a bad team a couple of years ago. Um, after that, it's the NCHC first round playoffs and then the Frozen Faceoff after that, and then the regionals, and then hopefully the Frozen Four, which I would love to see them play in, but we'll see how that goes. All right, with that being said, uh, we'll go into the moment I'm sure most of you guys have been waiting for. Um, we'll go into the interview with uh, former um, Grand Fork Central Knight and former UND hockey captain, and then current Bismarck legacy head coach, uh, Mario Lamaru. All right, we have on the uh, Grand Forks native, um, former Grand Forks Central Knight, former UND uh, Fighting Sioux captain, and current Bismarck legacy head coach, um, Mario Lamaru. Welcome, Mario. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for being on. You're our first ever um, guest on here. Got to get the nerves out of the way. <laughs> what an honor. I'm ready. Let's rock it. All right. So let's talk about um, – give us a rundown of your hockey resume from, like, your whole life. Like, what did you play and what did you go to? 
Yep. So I grew up in Grand Forks, went through kind of the youth hockey system there. So at the time would have been the Grand Forks Supers organization. Um, eventually moved on to uh, play high school at Grand Forks Central. So played eighth and ninth grade for Central. Um, we won back-to-back -back state championships there in 03 and 04. Then uh, moved on uh, in 10th grade, went to the Tri-City Storm in the USHL. And I spent four seasons there. Eventually moved on to UND, played four years there, and then moved on from there and bounced all over North America, all over the world for the next nine years. Um, and played nine seasons of professional hockey in North America and Europe. Awesome. Definitely a huge pedigree on their first episode. That's great to see. Um, so bring us through uh, the course of your hockey career. Like, why did you start and then what ended up ending your hockey career? Or like bring you to yep. where so I, my dad played college hockey for UND. So it was a really uh, kind of, you know, I grew up with four or three older brothers and two, obviously my sisters. Um, we all just gravitate towards hockey ever since I can remember being a little kid. Hockey was our favorite sport. We played all the other sports, but hockey was always, you know, without question, I think we all just loved hockey naturally. Um, you go, grow up in Grand Forks. That's kind of what everyone else is doing. I mean, we spent a lot of time in the outdoor rink. And, you know, that's just kind of grew to love the game from there and still kind of feel about it uh, the same way now that I did when I was a four-year-old, just loving being and being on the ice. And uh, um, then eventually, so I just finished up my ninth year last year, you know, COVID kind of threw a wrench into the whole pro hockey scene, especially in Europe um, last season. And that got a bit of a carryover to this year. And uh, I've kind of developed some programs um, out kind of central North Dakota. I live, currently live in Bismarck. And, um, you know, that there was opportunities for me to go back and play again. And But the uh, Bismarck legacy was going to start a, a new hockey program. And I thought that this it would be a good time, um, especially with having two little kids. It would be a good time to transition into kind of giving back to the community a little bit, mm -hmm. being more involved with the programs I already have. And uh you know, felt like it was probably the right move for my family and my kids growing up. Awesome. Uh, so moving on from that, where were you growing up and you told us how you grew up in Grand Forks and everything where you and your dad played, obviously, for UND, you said, um, were you a UND fan growing up? And then if you were, then who was your favorite player? Well, that's a good question. I yes, I was a big UND fan growing up. So my dad started taking me when I was a little kid and you just go the, just that atmosphere, you know, you, when you're a little kid and you have no expectations and you go to that atmosphere, you don't realize how great of an atmosphere and how good the fan base is. Um, so I always thought that was normal for a team. And then you go, you know, travel around, see other arenas and not every arena is like that. So, um, but yeah, my dad took me there. And what was the second part of the question? Uh, who was your favorite UND player? Favorite, favorite UND player. Um, oh, gosh. You know, I was a big fan of the Hoogstein brothers. Um, they were really good players when I was young. And um, I was a big Jeff Panzer fan. I really liked, uh, he obviously was a Hobie Baker finalist, one of the best players in the country. And um, I actually kind of got to know him personally growing up a little bit. Um, and I just, I was a big fan of uh, Jeff Panzer and, you know, actually his brother Jay as well, who actually ended up coaching me in high school. Oh, that's awesome. So, oh, yeah, I think 
think I did know that actually. The, he's a coach, but um, his son's actually going to play. That's pretty cool. A year, yep. in a couple yeah. years. I don't think next year. I think it's uh, the year after because mm-hmm. he's still got a couple more years to go. Um, and then this was actually a question Lincoln had. Um, yeah, uh, it's kind of piggybacking off that. Uh, being kind of a hometown hockey player, growing up in Grand Forks, and then playing at UND. Like, what did that like mean to you and uh, kind of your family too? That it was just right down the road, and yeah. Yeah, it was uh, really special. You grew up in Grand Forks, you you know, UND, the Sioux is, that was Grand Forks' team. That was kind of the state's hockey team. So you grow up feeling that. Um, and then you kind of get inside that locker room and it's just a whole other level of pride, you know, obviously being from Grand Forks, but you get to be in, be in that locker room and kind of feel the passion. You feel the, the expectation. You, you know, there's a certain attitude and mentality you need to have to be, you know, a strong part of that program. Um, and then obviously being from Grand Forks and kind of feeling it, you know, my whole life growing up, I think there's maybe even more pride for myself, even compared to, you know, not that the other guys didn't have that, but I think there was just embedded and kind of inside me to, you know, really take pride. And I, I took a, so much pride in putting on the Sioux Jersey and representing mm-hmm. that name and, not just the the name and logo, but really what it represented. And it was just a, I felt it was a great representative of hard work and determination. Um, you know, they, they used to do the, on the big screen during the games, they would put on like, you know, this is what the Sioux name meant and all of that. And just, they were, they were warriors. They were determined. Um, you know, I, I think really, I felt that uh, as a player being in that room. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, again, kind of picking back off that question, uh, like I know maybe like last week or two weeks ago, we did an episode on Through These Doors based on the hometown kids uh, in Grand Forks growing up and playing for UND. Um, and we talked about, um, do you did you ever like bring home any of the uh, the players back to your house and maybe, you know, feed them home cooked meals or anything with your family or anything like that? Uh, on occasion, uh, we'd have some guys come over, but you're just you're so busy in, uh, in college. You know, you got classes and I think kind of your only day to really have nothing was probably on a Sunday. Um, so on occasion, we'd go and get a bite to eat or just go take a nap on the couch uh, a little bit here and there. But we we had our apartments and the places that we lived and we we hung out a lot. And I think that's something I really kind of miss and I loved was just being able to hang out on that downtime with your roommates and guys on the team. And it was it was a blast. Is it true that uh, college is the best time of your life? it's yeah it's pretty dang true i'd say um you know me and my some of my old roommates talk all the time like oh man i wish we could go back and you know relive a couple months as a college student you know it was just you got the whole student atmosphere obviously hockey's a big deal in grand forks and you kind of feel that especially on like a game day it's just the town's excited and you know you got you're driving up to the rank and you got a line wrapped around the building it mm-hmm. feel pretty cool so yeah um but yeah, definitely wish we could go back, relive college for maybe a weekend or two here and there. Yeah, but, uh, I don't know if I could keep that pace up anymore. Yeah, I get that feeling. Um, and then kind of uh, building off of more of your UND experience, um, you know, you went to UND from you started in 08, 09 up until the 11, 12 season, um, right around the time where University of North Dakota was kind of fighting over that name, uh, the rights with the NCAA and, you know, the Native American tribes in North Dakota. Um, 
what did it mean to be like, I mean, that, that season, that was your senior season where you were captain was the last season that we ever wore those, those suit jerseys. What did, what did it mean to be one of the last players to wear that suit jersey? Uh, it's, it's special. I know like when we were at the final five, the last year, so that was like the timeout game against Minnesota and we played Denver the next day. And I knew that that was going to be the last time that the suit jersey was ever worn. So before the game, I remember giving a speech before the game that this logo has represented champions and it represents so much for our city and our state. Um, and this is the last time it's ever going to get worn. And I said, I'll be damned if this uh, logo is not going to retire champion and we're going to win today. So that's awesome. Was, uh, that's that was awesome. kind of a little spiel I gave before the game that when this jersey's done at the end of the game, it's going to have a trophy mm -hmm. hoisted over its head. That's awesome. I actually didn't know that. And um, being a kid, I, I think my whole family was actually kind of shocked. I, I mean, maybe my mom and dad knew more about it than I did about the whole situation. But growing up and, and going into that, NCAA game against I believe it was Western Michigan um mm -hmm. I and we saw those jerseys for the first time just the regular North Dakota I was shocked I'm like what what happened mm -hmm. as a kid I wasn't I didn't know that it was going to be your last time wearing those jerseys but like you said it was definitely a perfect send-off you guys really um really did us proud there with that that absolutely insane weekend that I was actually supposed to go to but my dad was like Oh, you know, we got tickets to the UND Gopher game, but we're gonna we're not gonna win anyway. So why drive all the way down there? Um, but you never know. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, for sure that was a great game and a great weekend. Um, and then again, more UND questions because you know they never get old. Uh, <laughs> what did it um, What did it mean to be the captain at UND, and what were some of the responsibilities that came with that? Uh, that's a great question. It, it honestly, I, if there's one thing in my career I took would maybe feel most prideful about, it would be being selected captain of you know a really prestigious you know Division One college hockey program, and obviously UND being a local, it meant a lot to me. Um, I also put a lot of pre personal pressure on myself. Yeah. You know, we had a very tough start to the year, and I think throughout that year, um, felt a lot of personal pressure. I, I did not want to be the leader of the one team that just like couldn't get it figured out. Um, so there was a lot of pressure to, you know, and I wasn't someone that was going to, that was scoring a lot. So it was, you know, what can I do as a, as a person, as a leader, um, as a voice in the locker room to help our group, you know, get over the hump and start winning some games. And I think there was, a, you know, especially early in the year, like how do we get to the next level? Um, and just felt a lot of pressure and responsibility to try and get more guys on board. Um, and it, it was a really big learning experience for me. And like, okay, how do, how do we get every ounce out of every player in the room? Mm -hmm. You know, even the guys that weren't in the lineup, like how can you be a contributor, even if you're not having shifts during a game, you know, and I think we really learned a lot about just how to utilize every single person with, within the team, you know, making everyone feel important, like they're part of something and, you know, something, everything that they're doing is going to be important and going to help us get wins at the, when it comes to game time. And, and you guys, if I'm correct me, if I'm wrong, but you guys battled a lot of adversity in that season, didn't you? Yeah. We had a ton of injuries. We lost a couple big recruits before the season even started. So we, I think added a couple late walk-ons, which happened to be Steph Patton and Connor Gorder and, uh Jim Senkbile and uh 
so those those guys were added weren't ever expected to play any minutes and they ended up playing a, a huge role you know by the end of the year and and then so you lose a couple big recruits so that's a big hit and then you get a couple injuries earlier in the year you know Rocco Grimaldi didn't hardly think he played three or four games the whole year and we lose Brennan O'Donnell gets hurt Broadwell gets hurt you know there was by the last maybe 10 or 12 games of the year we didn't even fill couldn't even fill a full lineup and we just kind of everyone just grabbed their lunch pail and said okay gotta some just gotta add in a little more work and yeah we gotta find a way to to get it done and it was just yeah total sacrifice i bet half the guys that were playing were playing hurt mm-hmm. um you know corbin knight at one point during the year he got skated on or something and he's like coming in and crutches and you know just guy has the heart of a lion and um but just never an excuse got out there and got the job done. And I think that was what kind of Sioux hockey was all about. Yeah. Especially having such like, but again, battling all that adversity throughout the whole season and then doing as well as you guys did, it was definitely, um, definitely huge for you guys. Um, building off of more of that season. Uh, this is a fan question. We, we took a poll on our Instagram. Uh, this question comes from Dryden Dragic. Um, I think this is a question we all kind of want to know. What was uh, what was said in that timeout game uh, during maybe during that uh, intermission or that that timeout? There wasn't a lot said. It was more kind of just say hey, let's calm down. I think there was an icing maybe. Hack calls a timeout, mm-hmm. and it was more of a just say hey, let's get reset. Let's get let's get on track and do something positive to try and turn the momentum of the game. It wasn't like he said something that was wasn't more of what he said. It was more the timing of just let's reset ourselves a little bit. And, you know, in my head, I knew on the bench during the time I said, you know what, if we can just get one, if we can find a way to get one goal here, get one scoring chance and get on the board, we'll get to the third and we'll have a chance. And then, you know, Forbert kind of lobs one on now. Actually, it was a pretty hard shot, if I'm being honest, but uh, he kind of lobs a hard shot on net and just kind of finds its way in. And uh, yeah. and I at that point, I said, okay, we got a chance here. We got a chance. So that was the big momentum driver? I, I think, obviously, the time everyone remembers the timeout. And, uh, but then Forbert gets the one kind of late yeah. in the third period, and I felt like, okay, we're within two now you know, we'll see what happens. You just need to get a good balance in the third period. And we did. And then the whole tide changed. Cause then um, I think the second goal was off park skate. And then the next one was right after that rock Nelson roped one top shelf to tie mm-hmm. it. And then you had the tiebreaker you battled through, like there's like three or four gophers in that. What was, what was like that? Bring me through that moment. Well, Steph Patton's driving the puck wide. He cuts back behind the net. And I'm just, you know, at that point, I only had one goal coming into that game during for the whole year, which is a little disappointing for me. Um, but I, I went to the net and he kind of throws one out, goes off my shaft and finds its way in and just maybe the story of our year, you got to kind of battle through a little adversity and get over the hill. And, you know, the puck comes in and I, guess the hockey gods were on my side that day and the puck goes off my shaft and goes in and we just kept rolling from there and it was pretty relieving moment and it was like kind of a big middle finger to all the minnesota fans out there (laughs) yeah for sure i i just that chant that they do after every goal really gets in i don't know it gets in my head especially and it's just annoying it's really it was a lot of fun to shut 
you know, shut those fans up, especially as a UND fan growing up. Um, that game, for me as a fan, came with a lot of pride. I can't even imagine what you guys are feeling on the ice. Um, but, yeah, you were just – that was insane. You get, you just battled with three gophers in front of the net, and you just were able to hammer that one home, and then you guys just cruise to the finish. Um, but, yeah, that's probably – one of the, if not the most memorable UND game of all oh, time, yeah. probably for sure. I mean, no. it's got the timeout game. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the game everybody's like came back from three down. Like that's right. the game where everyone was like, you know, we did it before. Maybe we can do it again. Um, but we'll move on from UND and we'll go into your professional career. Um, what was it like? Because uh, I don't, I don't know a whole lot of people who got to experience this. I think it's pretty cool. Um, what was it like living in Europe? And then how was it different from here? I, I loved it. It was, uh, it has it had its challenges. It had its exciting parts. You know, you, I'd never been to like really went and lived in Europe before. So I first place I went was Denmark and you just, you know, the, what we're used to in the Midwest, you know, you got big yards and mm-hmm. bigger houses and you go there and everything's smaller and you got smaller fridges and it's just a little bit different way of life in terms of maybe your day-to-day people walk and bike everywhere and you know here in the midwest we like to drive and we don't love walking too many places so (laughs) just a little different you know the obviously their food culture is a little bit different and you know most of it's not that much different than what we have in america but you know they have their um different food cultures they have and different obviously the history part of it um, with Europe being so much older than what we have here was a really fun thing to experience. You know, you got some castle that's 2000 years old and you're walking in it. It's pretty, uh, that was, it was a cool experience. I really enjoyed that part of it. Obviously the language barrier was never that big of an issue because everyone there speaks English. You know, we as Americans think we're so smart, but we're mm-hmm. one of the only countries in the world that probably only speaks one language. So mm-hmm. You know, you kind of open your eyes a little bit that other people are pretty smart too. So the tongue is different a lot. Is it harder to understand some guys that are speaking English over there, or are they? Yeah, different? I mean, certain people spoke better English than others, but I would say, you know, within a team, you could get uh, you'd get by with pretty much any conversation. And mm-hmm. some guys had better English than others, but you know, you could communicate with everyone um, for the most part, and you know, that part was never challenging. And they're people there are really, they were great to me. So, and my family, so I would have nothing but good things to say about all the places I've been. Was like uh, the hockey culture any different there? Or is it like pretty similar to here where they play or they, I don't know, like, is like the hockey culture in general, is it the same yeah. as it is over here? As it over- I would say it's a little different. I'd say, you know, if I could say one thing is that I, the, maybe the, not the, necessarily the intensity, but the physicality is obviously uh, much greater in North America where we're, we're more like, you know, hard nosed, um, throw the puck in and go make contact. And their thing is we want puck possession and we, we want to make plays and you, you're playing on the Olympic size sheet. So that I think mm-hmm. has a huge factor uh, in that, but you know, I would say we're just, we're brought up in hockey and maybe Canada or the U S and it's just kind of taught to be a little bit more physical. Um, so you can say more often than not, you know, your North American players are going to probably play a tougher style than mm-hmm. some of the Europeans, but some of those Europeans are tough and, um, you know, play that way as well. But, uh, you know, 
majority of those types of players would be, you know, from Canada or the U S and then like, um, what was, uh, what was it like starting kind of like, you mean, you lived there for a while, obviously you played nine years, uh, professional. I know not all those were in Europe, but, um, what was it like, uh, starting a family there and how often did you get to come home if you did? Well, we never got to come home during the season. So I would come home in the off season. So, you know, springtime through towards the end of summer, um, so be home for three to four months and then, but starting a family over there was very nerve wracking. So my wife was pregnant and we went, uh, back to, we were going to go back to a team I'd play for, played for previously. So there was some comfort level there. Um, but yeah, we were going to have our first child in Europe in uh, Innsbruck, Austria. And you, you know, you're just, you're really nervous about it because you've never had a kid for one. So then mm-hmm add in you're in a different country where the nurses aren't speaking English to you. It makes you a little more nervous, but uh, I would have nothing but good things to say about uh, how we were treated by the doctors and nurses and the care that we got would have nothing but good things to say. Um, you know, we shared a, once our, our little daughter was born, we shared a room with another person that just had a kid and I was, we're pretty laid back and it was no big deal for us. And that was just how they did things there. And, um, you know, we were really grateful that everything went fine. And, um, you know, we had our, actually had our, both of our kids there a year later, we had our second daughter in Germany. So in a different spot and, you know, again, would have nothing but good things to say. So we got, we got a couple of foreign, foreign girls, um, that were born over there and now back here. Wow. I didn't, that's kind of, it's going to be fun for her to describe to her classmates when she grows up. And uh, yeah, I kind of we always thought because we had traveled around more so with our younger or our first daughter. Um, you know, she's been to by the time she was one, I think she'd been in like nine or ten different countries. So yeah. um, so we always thought we'd try and get a little uh little push pins and put them on a map and she can maybe retrace her steps one day. How old are your daughters? Two and three. Okay. So they're I mean, they're still they still got a ways to yep. go. Yep. They start school. Um What's um what were the uh the European leagues uh what did they compare to the American and did you enjoy which one did you employ enjoy playing in more? Um they really are uh the European leagues are really unique in the sense that so if you go to Denmark, you're allowed what they so an import player is a player that's not from that country. So mm-hmm. you're allowed, I think in that league at the time, there was seven or eight imports were allowed in the league. So you typically would have seven or eight guys from the Canada from Canada or US and then the rest of them would be Danish players and I you know the Danish players think the the level of the leagues really is dependent on kind of the quality of the imports so you you have really good North American players playing Mm -hmm. professionally you know they're American League or high-end East Coast League players going into play in a league like that and then you know Danish players that some of them are really good but then Mm -hmm. a lot of them are really young so, you know, you'd have these really high-end players and then players that are young Danish players trying to kind of figure it out. And there was kind of a big gap in the ability. Um, and there are a lot of the leagues over there would, would be like that. So that part made it interesting and, you know, got my brain thinking of, you know, how do you, how do you get those young players on that level and kind of that whole player development thing. And just watching that for several years was really important for kind of what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. um, trying to make, younger players better mm-hmm. um so i kind of got a first-hand taste on how to do that and like 
kind of coaching those guys, you know, being on the team a little bit. Um, but the, my favorite place I played was probably Austria. The quality of the league was, mm-hmm. was really good. You're living in a really nice, uh, beautiful country. You got mountains all over the place. And I really enjoyed just the, the culture of that part of Europe was, mm-hmm. was really fun. And the town I lived in in particular was like right in the middle of the Alps. So there's, you know, surret completely surrounded by mountains on all sides. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it was awesome. just a yeah it was a beautiful place if anyone's ever looking to go to a spot Innsbruck Austria is definitely needs to be on the list so did you um what were like some of the things you did on your off days then in Europe oh my wife and I we'd, we'd go on Google and say things to do in Innsbruck Austria and you'd have things that pop in pop up within you know one or two hours and we just get in the car and we drive and say there's supposed to be a waterfall up here let's just go for a drive and you know, you'd see, and you know, half the time we'd go, we'd just see something else random, you know, on that looked cool. And it's like, Hey, let's just go there. So that part of it was really fun. Cause you just go, you know, 30 minutes or 40 minutes in any direction. And you're going to find something cool just cause with the mountain and landscapes and, you know, we would go up gondolas to the top of the mountain and you take a little, uh, like a little coaster down and like, you know, you're just seeing this view this big city you know starting at the top of the mountain and it was just like those things are really cool and you know going to experience their you know food and drink culture and stuff like that was just it was a lot of fun you know sit down have a cappuccino stare up at the mountains and you know it was, it was pretty good living so we, we would sit down frequently and be like feel like we're in a dream sometimes mm-hmm. Mountain, that's that's a lot different scenery than you got here in North yeah, Dakota. Not, oh, it's not quite like North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did uh? So you said you in Europe you only play on Olympic size sheets, right? Yep. So like, what did that was that harder for you to adjust to compared to when you're used to playing on NHL sheets here in North America? And then because I know you, I mean, obviously you played at the Mariucci and the Herbrooks, and uh, let's see, what's the one in? It just closed down in Colorado. Oh, well, yep. The one in CC. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I, I would say, had I gone over to Europe any sooner than I did, I don't think I would have had as much success. But I think with kind of the progression I had from leaving college and really kind of being a depth player and playing more of that grinder type role, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of transitioning, and I went to pro, and, you know, a few important things happened within my first couple of years pro where I just started to play better, play with the puck more um, and just really kind of rounded out how I needed to play. And I think that the time I went to Europe, it was probably the perfect time because I just had more confidence with the puck and now you have a bigger ice sheet in Europe. So it's harder to hit people. So you can maybe get away with, you know, handling the puck a little bit more. You can skate more pucks into the zone. Um, And that was kind of the perfect time for me to go. So I would say it was, for me and just developing my offensive uh, part of my game was got way better when I went to Europe because you're just able to handle the puck more yeah. and, you know, it's 10 yeah. or 20 feet wide or whatever it is. Yeah. You can usually accomplish a little bit more with the puck and have more space to maneuver around. And uh, yeah, it was made the game a lot more fun to be able to control the puck and score more. So I, I enjoyed it immensely. Which one do you like more Olympic or NHL size? Well, as I got older, when I was younger, I, lo- I absolutely loved the physical part of the game. Um, mm-hmm. Loved trying to crush guys and loved <laughs> fighting and loved all that stuff. 
And then as I got older and I was like, oh, my shoulder kind of hurts a little more today or oh, my hips are yeah. kind of sore. You're kind of like, yeah, maybe I don't love hitting as much as I used to. And um, so I really liked playing on the Olympic sheet as I got older. Um, Cause I feel like you got to use your, your yeah. brain more because you can mm-hmm. have the puck and analyze plays as they're starting to happen. And I, I think I really enjoyed that part of feeling like I can use my brain not so much of my uh, physical attributes to kind of try to win a hockey game. Yeah. I actually didn't even know they had, uh, they, they only played on the Olympics in, um, in uh, Europe. I thought maybe more cause I mean, I, I, the leagues are different, but you think more cause I don't know. Cause you know, the world juniors are coming up and everything and the Olympics and it, um, the world junior, do the world juniors play on Olympic size sheet. They play on NHL, don't they? You know what? I have no idea if when they go from Europe to my, North my, America, I'm not sure. I know they're going to be, I mean, they obviously can't expand the arena when they play in North America. Mm-hmm. Right. So I thought maybe more because they come over here, like Finland and Germany and all those, they come over here and that maybe for development wise, they were, they, that because I know it's more like that in college now there, you don't see as many Olympic size sheets as time goes on. Um, right. so I thought maybe for development wise, they were kind of becoming obsolete. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. even from a development standpoint, from even like little kids, it would make more sense to have an Olympic size sheet because you have more space for more kids, yeah. you know, if you in a spot like North Dakota, where, you know, certain communities ice time is limited, you know, having more space on the ice would help our kids, mm-hmm. but I'm not a rink designer. So I'll just keep yeah. my mouth shut. And then back to what you said about uh, you can only have so many um, American or Canadian players on your team. Is that the whole league or just your team? That would be for each league. So every, and every league is different. So in Denmark, it might be seven or eight. You go to Switzerland, you were only allowed two. go to Austria. I think at the time you're allowed 11. I went, when I went play in Germany, you were only allowed four. So it just varies from league to league. And, um, really changes the whole dynamic of the league so trying to figure out and sort out okay how am I going to have success in this league and you know you have enough experience to understand how you can play against certain players and what you can get away with and what you can't and that was it was all a good learning experience for me and Mm -hmm. you know if you I feel like if you analyze the game at a a high level you could really have success if you're understanding how you needed to play against certain teams against certain players that you're matched up against and you know i i actually i really miss that part of, about playing is kind of the analyzing the leagues and you know what do i got to do against this team and what, what do i got to do against that player so we can have success and kind of miss that part of it so for people who don't know because i don't really even really know about all, all these leagues because there's just so many in europe how many teams are like in these leagues usually that only allow like five guys that are American or Canadian? I would be, gosh, probably anywhere from 10 to maybe 16 teams, something like that, somewhere in there. On average, probably 12, 12 or 14. Okay. So you at the at like times when you played in these leagues, you were like one of only five, maybe five American Canadian kids in the entire league. Yep. That's insane. I didn't actually yep. know that. That's, that's odd. I mean, it makes sense to me why they would do something like that, but definitely something new yeah um, yeah so that that's where like your import players they're really difficult jobs to get as a as an import player because you're all there's so many good players in the world 
Yeah. And, you know, you're trying to stand out against other, all these good players and there's only, you know, so many spots available. So do they have like tryouts or they scout people or how does that work? Oh, they, they scout. Yeah. And, um, you know, they'll watch video on you and take references from people and kind of look at your resume and how you've done from season to season. So for me, I was always on a one-year contract and (laughs) I felt the pressure every single day to perform well at a high level. And at times there was stress, but I think it made me better because I always played on the edge of, I might lose my job today kind of feeling. For sure. I mean, that's, um, that's crazy. Actually, that's, you know, I always thought maybe if I, someone just went and played in Europe, there were just a bunch of jobs over there, you know, when I go play over there, but I didn't know that it was as competitive as it is for spots. That's, Very competitive. Yeah. Well, we'll go into more. So what's going on now? Uh, this is a question you had Lincoln. Yeah. So I'm, uh, so what, uh, what's it been like so far to be a head coach for a new high school hockey team in Bismarck legacy? And uh, what's kind of the process that went into that? Yeah, you know, uh, the challenge is obviously getting everything organized so that we can at least just start the year. You know, you got to get the equipment and, you know, you get all that stuff sorted out. And then you want to kind of start preparing for, okay, how are we going to get the team prepared and get all these things lined up? So that part in itself was challenging. Um, You know, the coaching part of it, I've done a lot of it, you know, over the last 10 years or so, uh, more so with younger kids. But um, that part of it kind of comes natural for me. I have a very, I don't feel like I've always had a good feel for the locker room and maybe a certain time to say a time to step up and say something or kind of have that feel to maybe say the right thing at the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, That part I've always kind of had comfort with and, but just trying to get, you know, 20 to 30 guys on the same page. How do we want to play? What do we have to do? What are the kind of habits we need to develop? Mm -hmm. Um, That part is challenging. And, you know, every kid learns at a different pace. Some kids have, you know, more skills than some players. Some players maybe you'd consider have better hockey sense than others. And, you know, you try to learn and evaluate and how to, how can you help each individual? Because not everyone's the same. And, you know, you kind of have to, I don't know, you don't have to coach players differently, but you have to have an understanding that they might learn different. And maybe you need to, you need to communicate it a different kind of way for certain players. And I would say that's kind of been the biggest challenge. Obviously, we haven't gotten you know, to this point in the season, not necessarily the results we want, but moving in the right direction of where I would like to see them. And I'll say this, I don't care where we're at right now. I care where we're at in about two months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's to be expected, especially as a brand new hockey team. You got a lot of, you know, make up work for like teams like you talk about Central or Red River, the teams that win every single year because, I mean, they're they're just so deep and their program is just their roots are just so far deep in the ground. You talk about it as hockey in general because they've been playing for so long. I mean, they they've been playing since like I don't even know like the '60s or '50s, probably something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, what is what was like the hiring process like? What did you have to go through with that? And then also what was like, um, where did the kid, did the kids come from like Bismarck high or legacy or not legacy uh, century or both when they, or I guess. Yeah. So the, the process of, so they, I know that for, I think for a couple of years, there was discussion that they were eventually going to have to add a, a hockey team. Um, Cause I think there was lots of kids that were having to quit playing cause they didn't have room for them yeah. at Bismarck high and century. So they added the hockey team 
and now it gave a bunch of kids an opportunity to play. Um, so I, most of our kids would, or I shouldn't say that a lot of our kids would be first year high school players. So they hadn't played with either school. Mm-hmm. And then we had, let's see, I think we have six that came from Bismarck high and was it four or five that came from Bismarck century. Mm-hmm. So I would say probably a third of our team came from the two schools. And, you know, those are all kids that had gone to school at legacy high school, played all of their other sports for legacy. And I, I think they were just all excited to have you know, kind of play for the school that they attend. Yeah. For you sure. know, from, from my standpoint, you gave 30, probably about 30 kids an opportunity to play hockey this year. You got yeah. some kids that, you know, would never have had a chance to play varsity hockey are going to get to play varsity hockey this year. And you're going to, you know, to compete with teams in the East, like Fargo and Grand Forks, we got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt about that, but you made the whole region very competitive and it's going to be a dog fight to try and finish at the top. And I think that's a very good thing for kind of the West region. Cause mm-hmm. now you don't, you take away that comfort level of knowing you're going to beat teams and all of a sudden yeah. you got to compete pretty dang hard. So, you know, mm-hmm. some people don't like the added team and they are maybe scared of the competition. Yeah. Um, you're not as strong as you once were. And, you know, some people are uncomfortable with a little competition mm-hmm. and I could say for myself, the competition gets me going. So, yeah. yeah. I, again, you talked about uh, just the, you guys, having another school there and having another program creates those opportunities for those kids. Like for me, I, I can kind of relate to that because um, when I, I played up until my senior year, I didn't play my senior year, but I played for West Fargo. Um, and that was my friend, my sophomore year. That was the first year I played with high school. And that was the, happened to be the first year where we got our new rink and our school was split. So Cheyenne got their first hockey, got their hockey team. Um, and that really created more opportunities for us kids, uh, not only in Cheyenne, but also West Fargo, the Packers as well. I probably wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have ever gotten a chance to play hockey because, I mean, I wasn't that good in high school, I'll be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm going to come, you know, come clean with myself. I'm, I wasn't that good in high school. I was better when I was in playing youth. But, um, I mean, it yeah, definitely creates opportunities for kids, and I think that's something really great that you guys were able to do. Um, yeah, so it, it's good for the community, you know, I think there's a handful of people that are still upset about it, but you gave an opportunity to kids that wouldn't have had that opportunity before. And that's what, you know, high school sports is about giving kids opportunities, giving them a chance to be part of something. And I'm really happy that more kids will get to have that chance. Yeah, for sure. And then um, do you guys have JV or is it just varsity? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. That's even more opportunities for kids. Yep. Um, this was a question, uh, I'll just come out and say that my mom wanted to ask, it was a really good question. I had to throw it in here. Um, cause she follows a lot of this stuff on YouTube and everything, NHL, everything like that. Um, how is toxic, like, how is a toxic player with a large, how toxic is it for a team to have a player with too large of an ego and how is it dealt with by what, how is it dealt with, um, by coaches and, um, by players? Cause I know, you could probably you have uh, a pretty good basis on how this works because I mean you play you were a captain of uh, Tri City captain for UND um, so you're a leader natural leader in the room obviously you played in Europe as well and now you're head coach so I think this would be a great question for you yeah that's a, a good question um, 
I would say there's always ego within a room. And I think, you know, it really comes down to, you know, what is your program or what does your team stand for? You know, at UN, like when you go to UND, there's just a certain level of how you act. And if you're acting outside of that, it's just not accepted, not accepted by one, the, the staff. And then two, it's just not, you know, the players themselves don't, um, don't accept it either. And there's kind of just that kind of accountability factor within the room that just, there's a certain, certain way that you're going to act. And there's a certain way of how we're going to think around here. Um, and then, you know, at UND, it was very selfless. You know, you have guys coming in that no doubt they're going to have NHL careers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so there's a lot of guys that could come in and be really co- you know, full of themselves and there for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And I would say for the most part, everyone gets in line right away. And I think it obviously starts with the coaching staff at the top, but you know, it filters all the way down to all the players that are within the room. And, you know, you go back to, you know, that's years and years of you, know, you date that back to whenever the whole program was started. That's a mentality that's been, you know, growing since the start of the program, which was, you know, hundred years ago or whenever it was. And I think you have someone with an ego. It really starts with the coaching staff and leaders on the team to just say, that's not how we're going to act around here. Mm-hmm. Um, for that, uh, we'll go back a little bit into UND before we go into like a lightning round for questions. Um, but what did, um, cause Dave Haxtell obviously was the coach when you were there and when your brother JP was there as a goaltender. Um, and he had Dave Haxel had immense success when he was a coach there, um, being to a ton of Frozen Fours, a championship game, multiple WCHA Final Five championships, and I think maybe even a couple regular season championships, maybe one or two. Um, what do you think he did well as a coach, and why do you think he was so successful? Love that question. Um, so the one thing I learned from Hack, and I when you go from year to year, it was always, it wasn't always the same. We obviously had a certain way that we played, but for him, I really realized he really evaluated the personnel that we had on the team. And it was kind of like, how do we make adjustments for the, our personnel this year? Do we have a more skilled team? Do we have a team that's, you know, got to kind of be a bunch of work pale guys. And I thought he was really good at finding the good balance with the players that we had on the team and kind of getting everyone to buy into a certain way that that particular team needed to play and finding the right motivation at the right time. And, you know, he just is an expectation level. When you showed up to the rink, it was time to work. And, you know, he was a pretty intimidating guy, but I just, I had a lot of respect for him because there was, you know, a standard and it was here and it was never coming down. And, uh, you know, I, I really respected the way, he handled a lot of things. Um, you know, maybe you should have got me on the power play a shift or two, but that's another story. But uh, he, uh, I thought he had a great sense of how are we going to get the most out of the group this season and how are we going to do it next year? And he just found a way. And I, I know that he put a ton of hour. I could tell when we lost a game and, you know, we'd be at the airport coming home and I can tell he didn't sleep because he was probably watching video the whole night trying to figure out how can we solve whatever problems we have. And, you know, he coached with his heart and, you know, I had a lot of respect for him. And I think that's why he has success at the NHL level and he's really respected even at that level. So um, 
do you talk to him a lot still now or you know i've seen him uh by some this uh this last summer uh, a little bit but obviously he's a busy guy and don't see him yeah. too often um but you know always will uh have a ton of respect for him did a lot for myself as a player and a person yeah i heard he lives in grand forks I, he actually uh i talked to a guy that <clears throat> you and my opportunities to talk with all, older guys with und insider you know older staff that know him and knew like ralph and everything like that uh say that uh he actually commutes all the way from Seattle and has, he lives here or he lives in Grant, not in Fargo where we are right now, but in Grand Forks, he lives in is where his family grows up and everything, which is, I think is pretty cool. Yep. So he, let's see my sisters and brother-in-law, I think they train the kids and stuff. So our families are connected and um, you know, there's some interaction, but I'm out in Bismarck. So I don't get mm-hmm. to see the Grand yeah. Forks here as much as I used to. So one thing that I always, I think all of us always remembered about hack was that, he never really showed a lot of emotion on the bench. Do you like, do you ever like know why that was or like any inside or like why he never showed emotion out? You know, you see times where um, I just remember a big video from when I was a kid watching uh, we had beaten the Gophers in the 2007 regional to go to the frozen four in St. Louis. And uh, he just did not <laughs> look like he cared at all. Um, do you have any, like, why did, why was it like that? I, I think he had a certain maybe persona or he, he was very dialed in on, you know, if you score a goal, okay, well, let's, the next shift is coming up. I'm worried about the next shift. I don't care what just happened. I'm worried about what's next. And I think that was just, um, you know, in the short term, like on the bench, that's kind of was his attitude is I'm focused on what's next. And over yeah. the course of the season, it was, you know, I think always that mentality of what's next, what do we got to do next? How do we get better? tomorrow kind of thing and he wasn't necessarily worried about you know going to celebrate wins because there was one goal in mind every year and that was national championship yeah. and uh you know it was he was just very focused on the goal mm-hmm. and like how do we get the most out of the group this year and um i think that's probably why he was he was like that and just wanted to stay focused and keep the group focused while he was on the bench awesome uh well we'll go on as we kind of wrap things up here we're going to go into a lightning round we're going to ask you i don't know like 10 questions here and yep. you're going to try and give us um a good response to what you know the question i guess um first one is uh what was your favorite game that you ever played in as a hockey player i would have to say well there's two that stick out obviously the timeout game was a big one uh as far as like just feeling in the room after was just incredible that one. And then I would say there was one game in Europe. Uh, we were in the semifinals of a round. I had a sprained ankle and I was coming off of a sprained MCL with like a day off and I wasn't supposed to play. And we were going into game seven on the road and I couldn't walk. And, uh, about two hours or about three hours before the game, I said, I gotta give it a shot. And, uh, the trainer looked at me and he said, i you know, he's, European and he goes oh man you're tough you're a tough guy and uh, (laughs) we went on the road we won the game won in game seven on the road and had the game winner and I would say those be my two most memorable games awesome Mm -hmm. oh yeah kind of what would you say was probably your favorite goal ever scored well I guess I'd almost consider those two games right there I I would say the at the timeout game um 
getting the game winner in that one in a big moment was pretty special um, given what our team had went through. And then again, that game seven winner to go to the championship um, when I was in, playing in Denmark was a pretty memorable one because I probably shouldn't have played and I just kind of had to gut it, gut my way through and, um, you know, ended up winning the championship that year. So it was pretty, pretty special. What was your toughest loss? Toughest, I think the most devastated I ever felt would have been my last game at UND. We have the timeout game win. And then the following weekend, we play Minnesota again in the same building and we lose. And they, you know, from top to bottom, they had a much better team than us, you know, talent wise. And uh, so we lose that game and that felt real devastating. You kind of feel like your world's ending. And, you know, you felt so strongly about playing for a, being part of the fighting Sioux team and now you're done and you kind of feel like the world has ended. And that one would definitely still stings a little bit. Did you ever have like a nemesis on the Gophers or anything like that? All of them. Pretty much all of them. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that works too. Yeah. I just hated them. Um, Who is your favorite team to play against in college hockey? The uh, the Gophers would be. Yeah. I mean, I think as one's pretty obvious. Kind of. Yeah. They're just the history. There was hatred, but whether it was in Grand Forks or in Minnesota, the building was rocking and the intensity was high. And then for me personally, like I guess I had a bit of a rivalry with St. Cloud. Yeah. Um, so you know, that would be another one that got to be, you know, tensions were high when we play yeah, in some of those sure. games. Definitely a newer developed rivalry with St. Cloud for sure. Um, what about Denver? I mean. There was some, because I was part of my freshman year, I was part of the one where George Gwazdek, he's standing, goal, he yeah. walks across yeah, the yeah, ice, comes crazy. back. And I remember Matt Watkins. Mm-hmm was like screaming at our bench and say, you're going to let that mother effer walk across our ice. And I just remember, I was like, come on, Dad, give me a shift. I'm going to kill someone. So, yeah, but yeah, Denver was definitely a big one. Mm-hmm. That was with uh, Van Nevelde and uh, Tess Weaver going yep. out. Yeah. Yep. Um, what was your favorite rink to play in besides the Ralph? If it's, well, Ralph, I don't want to just assume that it's the Ralph. I just thought maybe it's know. a, that's an obvious. Yes. The Ralph was the best. Um, I, I enjoyed obviously going to Minnesota because of the atmosphere. Um, I, you know what? I, I actually enjoyed playing at Denver because I felt like we had so many fans there. Um, mm-hmm. You go to Denver, end of the national anthem, end of the national anthem and the whole building erupts with, you know, Sue at the end and, mm-hmm kind of get the shivers down your spine just thinking about it it was sure. you know we're out we're on the road but you almost feel at home sometimes right uh did you have any uh superstitions like uh team or maybe just personal you did before the game i was very routine oriented i i don't necessarily consider them superstitions but i was very much i want my routine i for the most part got to the rink on time and it was all about you know i get the foam roller and I do a 15 minute rollout. And then I would usually go play a little soccer and kick the ball, get my feet moving a little bit. And then I'd have my 15 minute kind of dynamic warm up, And it was the same for 10 years. And, uh, oh, it's yeah. very, very on point with, if I, if I do these things, I'll give myself a chance to play well. And I was very routine oriented in mm-hmm. terms of that. Um, going on, you know, you were a captain of, 
you know, teams and everything like that, college and before maybe, I think you were an assistant captain after, um, even in, in Europe. Um, but what were some, like, not even just as a captain, but as a team, what were some of your favorite team bonding activities that you guys did? Team bonding. Well, in college, you know, I don't want to be inappropriate, but the team parties are pretty fun. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we had, a. We had some really fun times in college, so that would be fun. You know, I think anytime you're getting t- together with a team in general, it's really fun. You know, I I really kind of miss the, to a certain extent, I miss the time on the bus, just kind of playing cards and stuff like that. I really, playing cards with your teammates was a blast for me, so I really kind of miss that part. Um, but you, it just kind of, in general, whenever, any anytime you can get together with a team, it's usually a fun fun time what teammate were you uh really close with in college ever like a best friend on the team or like someone you did everything with or well so joe gleason and corbin knight were my uh i was roommates with them for two years um in college so we got to be really good friends we're still really good friends to this day me and benny blood were roommates for a year and he you know ben was ben liked to like to blast the music like every Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> like four in the morning. So, but he was, he was a really good guy. He was hilarious. So, yeah. um, but I mean, yeah, like, so Tate Maris is still someone I keep in, yeah. uh, got to be really good friends with him. Um, really after while we were at school, but after, you know, we talk on the regular still. So he was yeah. someone I uh, stayed pretty close to. Yeah. I met Tate a couple of times when I was younger. He was, uh, I met him at a game when I was, I think at the final five, uh, maybe he wasn't dressed one. And then um, I think it was the same time when Fratton got each, uh, suspended after, you know, laying out weirs in the corner um, where he told my, I guess Matt Fratton told my dad that he didn't leave his feet. And he was like, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then um, he also uh, for the UND um, hockey camp that they used to have or the UND hockey school, they called it back in the day. I don't know what they call it now. I think it's just hockey Academy. Yeah um but he was one of the coaches there with um i think it was pat uh stefan Patton and colin st Clair were my captains or my coaches uh, during yeah. that but i think it's he's a good gone. guy weird goalie guy he's real he'll hate me for saying this but he's a goalie guy he's super weird yeah i mean our goalie's weird i mean i think <laughs> so um does he have a, he is having a little bit of a music career isn't he he's yeah he's starting to push out some tunes so i'll have to plug for them yeah yeah for sure um so going off of like some teammate stuff um correct me if i'm wrong but brent davidson is your brother-in-law and he was on the team with you wasn't he that is correct what's that like oh this is what a great question um so brent me and brent were good friends in school and then or we worked out together and all that stuff. And then I think it was after my sophomore year. Um, apparently Brent had asked me permission to hang out with my sister at a Ooh. team get together. <laughs> and I, I don't personally remember that part, but then they started hanging out. And I was kind of like, well, what about, what about me, Brent? And then, <laughs> uh, and then you know, time goes by and then all of a sudden Dave Brent comes up to me in the weight room one day and he goes, Hey Mario, uh, just want to, see if it was oh you know wanted your permission to to date your sister and i was like brent <laughs> you have my blessing <laughs> oh, that's hilarious <laughs> so I, I would just rip on him uh 
give him a hard time about it all the time but brent's yeah. a good guy and got some good laughs it was a little awkward for yeah. a bit but we moved on like, so uh, happy to have him around so you, you see each other at family stuff a lot or oh yeah yep so don't i wish we got to see him more often but life gets busy start having kids and just gets to be more challenging but um obviously yeah enjoy our time together when uh even though it's a little bit infrequent where are your sisters living then in grand forks oh they are okay yeah awesome um yeah, kind of, I think this is a pretty good question here, but uh, what are your thoughts on fighting in college hockey? Uh, you know, as someone who did a decent amount of it through junior, <laughs> yes, yeah. in college, I, I do think the physicality is an important factor in hockey, not, not necessarily uh, just the fighting, but just like body contact in general. I think it's a, I think kind of hockey needs to, I don't think that there's not a place for it. I don't think there's as much of a place for it. Um, in college hockey, I don't know. I'm a little bit impartial. I can see why you would, someone would want to have it. I understand why they don't want yeah. to have it. Um, you know, I, I would say I'm less of a fan of it now than I was like maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, just uh, having the information on, you know, mm -hmm. what, stuff like that can do to a person maybe long term and uh but i do think it serves the physicality more so the checking serves a purpose in the game um i, I wish that there was maybe more education on how do we do this properly how do we do this safely and how do you incorporate more respect in the game so you don't have you know some guy flying in that's like well i'm gonna elbow you in the head mm -hmm. for whatever reason and just trying to teach more of a respect level when you're competing, you can play super hard, as hard as you can against someone, you don't have to cheap shot. Them. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of uh, different things out there that, I mean, it doesn't really, if you really think about it, it kind of helps on a safety level, you know, if teaching or like even visor, people are talking about adding, or some people ask the question about adding visors to college hockey, it makes people more careful or fighting again, makes you more careful. You know, you don't, want if you are careful and you don't you know go out of your way to absolutely destroy somebody you won't get into a fight obviously i mean some something like that with uh, mm -hmm. player safety as well i mean it, it's a conversation to have but um yeah i think that's gonna i think that pretty much does it for all our questions i really appreciate you taking the time on your day to be on nd ice absolutely guys pumped to be on the first episode this was great so uh, yeah we'll have to have you on again sometime sure. maybe. let me know i'll make myself available all right we'll all really right. appreciate it okay thanks a lot for having me wow i mean you talk about a guy with a pedigree like that coming on and being our, our first interviewee um mario kind of hit all the the points uh of what we're trying to cover on this podcast you know he played high school hockey in north dakota uh, for Grand Fork Central, um, played UND hockey college, um, not only as a player, but a captain as well. Um, he, just his pro career, his junior career, and then also he's coaching in Bismarck for Legacy now, which is an interesting story, you know, being the first head coach, which is absolutely wonderful for him. I can't wait to see what that has in store for him. Um, what did you think? Yeah, just overall great guy to talk to, and he has such a huge resume of hockey, which is just like right where we're looking into, you know, uh, North Dakota hockey. He lives and breathes it, 
uh, he played here and now he's coaching here. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what he does with that in the future. And yeah, I can't say, uh, can't say enough about how good of a guy he is and how fun it was to talk to him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was probably, I mean, I haven't done a whole lot of interviews with guys. I mean, I work for, I'm an assistant producer with through these doors. So I, I talked to some of the players, but Mario is just a guy that, you know, I just couldn't get enough of him speaking. It was he just the way he spoke, the way he described everything was just awesome. It was just such a fun interview to do. Um, talk about a one one of a kind guy. Um, that family is just so so rich with hockey and everything like that. Um, just just an overall great guy. I mean, he was fun to talk to. He's a great talker. Uh, had a, lots of great stories about UND, uh, his experience there, how it's changed how hockey has changed, how it's different in Europe, which I thought was cool. Um, and then also what it's like, what was it, what it was like, you know, being the captain at the time when they were losing the logo and they were fighting for that name and, and what it meant to them playing on that logo and then what it meant when they lost it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good story as well. Um, but again, just can't thank uh, Mario and – his wife enough. Uh, Molly actually reached out to us, um, which was absolutely fantastic. We would not be able to do this without her or Mario. So thank you guys so much for reaching out and being a part of this. Um, enjoyed having you on. And then thank you to everyone else out there for listening and taking the time on your day to just reach out and listen to um, our podcast. We update and are pretty active on our Instagram and someone active on our Twitter. So go make sure to go ahead and check that out and maybe drop a follow. Um, we post um, high school standings in North Dakota, and we're trying to get into some junior stuff as well. Um, and then, yeah, thank you, everybody, just for your constant support. And feel free to reach out if you have any questions or suggestions or how we can make this better. Um, but, yeah, that's that's going to do it for this episode of NDIS. My name is David Trinka. I'm Lincoln Retzloff. We'll see you guys in the next block. Here's a two-on-one lateral score! Oh, something like that. Nice, nice finish by Mario Lamar. Welcome back, Mario.